Well, y'all want to go big? Then say that. Ho! Yeah, boy, we doing big things, big belts, big rings, bigger than you ever seen, big as big could ever be, so big, better back for peace. Pipe down Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to a prime time Thursday night edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I am John Ledger from pewterreport.com with me once again, back from a wild trip to Las Vegas, Casey Hudson, the one and only Casey what is going on girl how was vegas what did you win any money what what's the deal here tell us i i cannot gamble i i really 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 that's like the last good idea on the agenda but i will say i figured out why people tell you all you need is 48 hours in las vegas (laughs) after 48 hours once you hit 49 nothing good can come from it so luckily at that point we had a flight it was time to go, and we made it home in one piece with a pretty bad hangover and a lot of work to catch up on. But it was still worth it. <laughs> and you probably had not slept at all, like I'm guessing, because you oh, slept right for the Bucks. Five and a half hours total in 76 hours. So Sheesh. it was pretty ridiculous. Like the last night there, we made it count. I think we took a 30 minute power nap before it was time to get up, pack our bags, and catch our flight. And we almost missed our flight home. So, <laughs> like I well, said, 48 hours is. Plenty. That's plenty. plenty of time, right? There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun because I'm glad you made it back. Okay. Because we've got a great uh, show today to get through and we've got oh, yeah. to talk to WDAE's Jay Retcher. We're going to get his thoughts on a lot of things, including the long awaited question of who Jay Retcher's, who he believes the best wide receiver on the Bucks team is. I'm excited to hear his response on that one. Uh, as we've already gotten that from a few WDAE folks who've been on the show, we'll get his opinion as well. But first, Casey, we got to let the people know about our friends over at Celsius because they are sponsoring this show as they do all the Pewter Report podcast. I am rocking the watermelon today over at Celsius. This thing has zero sugar, somehow has amazing flavor and taste. Healthy energy, accelerates metabolism, burns body fat. The variety of flavors you can get at Celsius without without doing anything unhealthy, without without no crash on these energy drinks. Unbelievable how well they sustain you throughout the day. Um, and you can get these yourself. Folks can get them themselves. They can go over to Amazon. They can get themselves a variety pack. They can get themselves a bunch of different flavors of Celsius to try out. But the best thing you can do is go to the YouTube link on this or, or the description on this YouTube, and you can click the link to these fast energy bars. Right now, you can get these fast energy bars over at Amazon. 20 grams of protein, the Celsius fast energy bars, with one gram of sugar in these. There's also This is the white chocolate cookies and cream. You also got the caramel peanut crunch. Really, really good stuff. It's hard to get that protein without the fat. Love the fact that Celsius and, and the sugar, love the fact that Celsius gives that to you. You can head on over to Celsius.com and you can check out the store locator to find out where fast and where the Celsius energy drinks are near you. And you can click that link below and get the discount price uh, for these fast energy bars right now. So exciting stuff with Celsius as it always is. All right, Casey, we got to bring in the one and only the man, the myth, the legend himself straight, straight from the Met Gala in New York, where he was, he was, look at him. He's ready. He's ready. Jay Retro, ladies and gentlemen. I literally ran into my kitchen to see if we had any other Celsius left, but my roommate drank the last three. So she's, She's on my uh, ish yeah, list for sure. Yes, <laughs> I had to cut my vacation at the Met Gala short. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw for me. I was show. actually I was hiding underneath Kim Kardashian's Balenciaga dress. 
Um, but now I'm I here. don't even know what that word means. So. Oh, come on, Ledyard. You need this. I'm Balenciaga. I'm practicing I'm, how to I'm say a... it before hopping on. Balenciaga. Yeah, you just yeah. looked that up before you came on this show. Yeah. No, come on. Balenciaga. Me and Balenciaga. I went to school with Carlos Balenciaga. Great <laughs> soccer player. <laughs> so you knew this. You were ready. You came to the Met Gala mm-hmm. prepared. Oh, you got a little on, taste. Yeah. <laughs> ready in. to go, man. I am all in. Ready to go. Bucks. Met Gala, whatever you guys need, best wide receivers, Celsius, I'm ready to roll. Let's I love do it. it. Well, we'll save the best wide receiver. We'll let you think on it a little bit in case you want to change your mind. Maybe oh, we'll no, drop that I'm, on you. In I'm the, locked you in, know. baby. I'm you knew in. immediately when I asked 100, you. Uh, 100%. 100%. Okay, all I'm right, all right. I'm to find out. I am too, because Casey's yeah. also got a hot take on this that I don't think you've <laughs> – well, you've got a hot take and then your real answer, and we'll get to both of them yeah. later in the show because it's going to be fun stuff. But all right, let's start here, Jay. You are coming into this season – in like an unprecedented time in Tampa Bay sports. And I just am curious, I've been here for not even two years. I've been actually physically in Tampa for less than a year. And then I've been on the, on the Bucks beat from a distance for a while, almost two weeks, two years working that. But like I said, a lot of it's room from a distance. So I'm just curious what your experience has been Tampa sports media. And you're in a time where the lightning have gone back to back. The Bucks are trying to go back to back. The Rays were one game away. They're, might be right up there in it again this year, the way that they're looking. I mean, is this just an incredible time to be covering Tampa Bay sports? Yeah, I mean, it's nuts, especially last year when everybody was complaining about how bad life was, you know, during 2020. And I'm kind of looking around going, <laughs> you get it, but at the same time, not, not so bad here in Tampa. But yeah, I mean, I looked through the first six months uh, of the year, uh, I was at the Super Bowl, WrestleMania, and Stanley Cup final game. And, the, you know, it's just it's pretty nuts. And, and listen, man, I, we all grew up sports fans. So, I mean, to get to where we're at right now, where we get to cover uh, not just sports, but really good generational sports teams like this is unprecedented. Like we've never seen any. I've done research on like big time cities like back in the 30s and 40s when, you know, everything was going on in New York City with baseball and L.A. and all, you know, the Lakers and Celtics up in Boston. And just it's never been like this. And how often in any city, but especially our city, is national sports news in one city? You know, everybody's eyes like you watch NFL Network, NHL Network, MLB Network, like it's Tampa sports. And it's it's kind of surreal. And it's definitely something like every day when I look at a big story and I see Tom Brady, I was I graduated almost 20 years ago in high school and Tom Brady was a quarterback in the NFL when I was in high school. And how many years later and he's still playing and he's here for the Bucks and he's not showing any signs of slowing down. But yeah, uh, to say I'm honored and, and blessed and uh, fortunate to do what I do and to live where I live, uh, that'd probably be the understatement of the century for sure. Yeah, that's not a bad answer. I do have to ask this, though, especially because both of y'all are not from Florida. Mm-hmm. How okay. Hard. All right. All right. Get us, get a single us out of here. All right, cool. <laughs> How real is, is the Tom Brady fan girl situation between what he does for the bucks and you guys not typically being bucks fans? Go ahead, like- Jay, you go first. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it shows you the power of, of top level athletes. I mean, you saw it with Derek Jeter just going into the hall of fame with the Yankees of, there's certain people that cross over sports into pop culture and they bring eyes and, and they bring eyeballs to a product that maybe sometimes you're not interested in. Um, and when you have a guy like Tom Brady who performs at such a high level doing unprecedented things in his early forties, like it's pretty crazy to see that. And listen, it's kind of weird. People say, Oh, 
you have to not cheer for the teams or not pull, pull for the teams. That's like an old school journalistic type thing. You see that a lot with newspaper writers. I think to me, you take some of your personality out of it. And I don't think you do your job because then I think columnists especially come off as negative. And it's like, all right, well, you're taking your emotion out of it, but we're all emotional people. Like the, you, you're more invested to the people that you're sitting down and talking to. I mean, I want the Lightning to win more because I sit next to Victor Hedman and we talk about Manchester United. You know, yeah. I, I want Mike Evans to do – don't give me that look. I knew she was going <laughs> to – I'm sorry. Arsenal finally won their first game last week. Somebody's finally happy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you see that? I know I know how to – KH, you know, Johnny Ledger, I got – I know what makes her tick. Um, but, you know, like with, with Brady and with the Buccaneers, like Mike Evans, getting to know him over the years and – yeah, he does a lot of great stuff on the field, but off the field, that's where, to me, he's a real professional and a guy mm -hmm. that is such a great representation of this team and this community. So, yeah, you want to see guys like that do well. It's been it's been fun, and I think Tom Brady just adds to the layer of Champa Bay. It sounds to people outside mm -hmm. of here, sounds maybe kind of corny, but mm -hmm. listen, it's the truth, man. You can't deny rings. Yeah, nobody cares about Corny when they've suffered as much as a lot of Tampa Bay Hell fans yeah. have suffered, especially Bucks fans. 100%. So, I, I don't know, man. For me, Casey, it's just been like you come from Pittsburgh and there's obviously like winning traditions and winning ways. And, you know, you get caught up in that a little bit. But then you come to a place like Tampa Bay and what's been most cool to me has been the appreciation fans have for every victory, for every move, yeah. for every moment. <laughs> um, I love that. Like I, that is that is very much me like just being able to like recognize that and identify with the fan base in that way. And honestly, like I was just so genuinely happy for them when the bucks wanted, I think like yeah. I've always said, I've said it on the show, like people can act like they're unbiased in the media all that they want. And it's certainly, it's our job to be professional and unbiased enough to do our jobs, mm -hmm. but you're kidding yourself. If you're not saying that as a, as a Tampa Bay media person, no matter who you grew up reading for Jay or myself, yeah. like you, you want, the bucks to win yeah absolutely like obviously it helps you you know your job in terms of interest and coverage and things like that but you wanted to win because these fans come in this podcast and support us and they support these players and they've been about it and a lot of them have suffered through years where nobody talked about the bucks in the national media for an entire year so yeah absolutely i think all about it for me uh i've loved seeing that part of it and the fact that it happening in multiple sports is that's been the funny part to me because i didn't i don't really i follow baseball very loosely but to see the Rays have the success that they've had has been really kind of cool. And uh, I've been to the Trop, and so I'm excited to get there again and see what it's like. I haven't been to Amelie Arena yet uh, since I've Whoa, been here, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's a big one. That's yeah, a that's, that's going to be a big one for me for sure. But I'm even curious, Jay, now as you've seen the Bucks kick off the season, you've seen kind of the – there's probably not been – I would say even last year we were coming out of COVID, there were – you could say there were question marks about Tom Brady. Sure. That's probably fair to say uh, as much as you can have question marks about Tom Brady. There were question marks about Gronk and all these guys, how the pieces would come together. There was reason to be somewhat skeptical what happened in year one. Then it happened in year one and they won the Super Bowl. And now they are un unquestionably a better team and a better situated team going into this season. Doesn't mean it'll be the same result. Of course, we know how sports work, but there is that kind of energy, like and that kind of confidence that there was just not last year. And now you're coming into covering it from that perspective. Has that changed the way for you that you go about 
addressing this season, basically, when you're setting the table for people, you have set the table for buck seasons for a year. I think you said you've been in this media market for eight years. So you've been setting the table for a buck season for a long time. And I'm guessing that this has been unlike anything you've ever done before when it pertains to the bucks. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, you think about just the Jameis Winston years of the first pass from Jameis being a pick six and the last pass being a pick six and just being in, you know, being in the locker room after those games and you're going like those are tough like we've been in some awkward locker rooms for the Buccaneers and also you know with the lightning too after they got swept out uh by Columbus I remember going to the exit interviews and just going this is weird man it feels strange and John you'll appreciate this uh there's a certain level of elite athletes there's a certain work ethic that they have and I noticed it um, Sidney Crosby was actually one of the first guys mm-hmm. that I noticed. And it was a 7.30 puck drop. And I was at Amelie for a broadcast for Ronnie and T. Kras, And I was there early. I'm talking quarter to seven. I know that's late for Casey. Um, but I was there early. And Sidney Crosby was there sharpening his own skates and playing soccer. And I just – I watched and I ran into him like four times that day. And this was a guy growing up. I couldn't stand Sidney Crosby. You know, he was like public enemy number one. My niece's name is Sydney, and I'm still not happy with my sister with that decision. Um, but you just saw the attention and detail. I hope she's and, not just finding out about that on the podcast. Right. No, no, she, she knows. just dropped for her. She, she knows. Sydney's yeah. three. She's smarter than all of us, too, That's which great. is pretty funny. But listen, man, when you see the, uh, the, the attention to detail, the work ethic, and the way that they carry themselves, how it raises the level of the players around them, it's kind of astonishing that a human being could have that much of an impact on everybody else. And when I saw from Brady that I saw, and I wasn't surprised after seeing things like that, those elite athletes, they're on another level. And it's almost at times, it's a little much. You heard about Peyton Manning all the years being a perfectionist. And sometimes you rub people the wrong way. And it's tough because not every athlete is like that. And when when you have teammates that aren't like that, you're either going to get on board or you're going to get the heck out because they're going to find somebody else that is going to have that winning mentality. So, yeah, this year going into it, I mean, was anybody expecting this team to win the Super Bowl last year? I thought a playoffs were a real possibility, maybe win a game, learn, build that experience kind of. But, man, they just crumbled that piece of paper up and threw it out the window. They peaked at the right time. They beat arguably, you know, unless Tyler Taylor Heineke starts his Hall of Fame resume tonight against the Giants, which it probably is going to happen. But Your you, Giants. Yeah, not mine anymore. <laughs> I was say but, clarify. But when you think about it, when he beats these quarterbacks in a row, when you're beating Breeze and Rodgers and Mahomes, I mean, probably three Hall of Fame quarterbacks in a row, you went through those guys. Is that more of a Brady thing? Because I, I don't buy into the quarterback versus the – they're not playing against each other. I get it. It's fun to talk about. But those defenses stopped all three of those guys en route to winning a championship in their home stadium. So it's just, it's surreal. And I think it's going to be one of those things as the years go by, the legend is going to grow. And we're going to look back and say, how in the heck did that happen? And we're just very fortunate to be able to see that firsthand. So that kind of brings me to a twofold question for you, JR. For one, I want to know what you thought, what your estimate was last season that the Bucks record was going to be. So keep that in mind. But the other one, this is always like a big one for me. Who was the actual game changer when it comes to the Bucks heading into last season and heading into this season? Is it what BA has brought to the team and the system that he has put in place? Or is it really Tom Brady? Because, I mean, 
in my personal opinion, we just needed a quarterback that wasn't going to turn over the ball, you know, majority of the time that they had possession versus us now getting this elite perfectionist, as you put it. So, you know, who really gets majority of that credit and who's going to get a lot of that on their shoulders as this season continues to progress and move forward? Twofold, two questions for you. Uh, <laughs> I think last year I had him, I want to say 10 and six. I had them making it as the top wild card with New Orleans winning the division. So that worked out yeah. pretty good. Uh, the second answer to your question is when you look at good teams, especially in the era that we live in right now, I'm a big proponent of one voice. And you saw it with the Patriots for years. You're talking about the top down, Kraft to Belichick to Brady to your 53rd man on the roster. You saw it in Golden State. Now that they've the Laker brothers all the way going down to the Myers and Steve Kerr to Steph Curry all the way down. You see with the Tampa Bay Lightning, Jeffrey Vinnick. You can take Je uh, Steve Eiserman out, put Julian Breezeball in. It's one voice all the way down. Stammer all the way down. And that's why you have guys like Ross Colton scoring the Stanley Cup winning goal. I'm not one of those people that think like, this person deserves more credit than this person. I, I, I hate the Brady. Who is, who's responsible more, Brady and Belichick? There's so many different pieces of the puzzle that you have to put together to be a winning franchise. I mean, listen, Brady's lost Super Bowls before. You know, you think about those kind of things. You have to have some luck. You have to have injuries go your way. Sometimes it's a call or two. But I think it's the fact that everybody, people were worried. Is there too many chefs in the kitchen for the offense? Well, when you have Tom Moore, who's been around and seen great quarterbacks, Clyde Christensen, Byron Leftwich, Bruce Arians, and Tom Brady, you have five guys that are mature, and they're going to sit down. They're going to go, it's not about me. It's about us. And I think that's where the success comes in with this team. And that's how you can have a team that's got vets, both sides of the ball. You look at JPP and yeah. Sue and Brady and Gronk. But then you look at the youth. You look at Winfield. You look at Wirfs. You look at all the youth in the secondary. And even the other guys on the offensive line, for the most part, are relatively young. To me, that's what there's the cohesion and that synchronicity. To me, that's what leads to their success. To their success, easy for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. I, we try to individualize these things. I think because it's easier for us to talk about them, maybe, or maybe to we are all caught up in this idea of legacy, and like maybe it's like we have to define a legacy, like this person gets 100% credit or even like 95% credit, 90% credit. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's way more intricate and detailed than that. And the competitive nature of all of these people pushes them to be great. Okay. And that's part of, of the solution in the end. Uh, speaking of competitive natures, if you've got that competitive nature and you want to check out underdog fantasy sports, because this is where you can get into these pick them games on underdog fantasy. Check this out. Listen to what you can do here on underdog fantasy. You can select over or under on player stat lines. Get a pick two correct, or you can triple your and you can triple your money. Get a pick five correct, and you win twenty times the amount of money you enter with. It's you're gonna win more money than Casey won the whole time she was in Vegas. <laughs> it's simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download their app. Sign up with the promo code Pewter P E W T E R and build a pick 'em slip and in seconds. They're going to give you a free ten dollars when you sign up and make your first deposit. So download the Underdog Fantasy app. Sign up with the promo code Pewter, P-E-W-T-E-R, and get that free $10 today. All right, Jay, here's my question for you now. As the season gets underway, week one against Dallas happens. There's so much hype, right? This, I mean, you were you there? Were you there week one? 
I was. You, I so was. you saw. So you saw Ray J popping, and I know Casey yeah. did too. Casey and, walked yes. right by me like she didn't know me. It was great. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! They timed you. Actually, well, you know really? why? Really? Well, I'll let, go ahead, I Casey. Ran defend past yourself. him. I ran past him because I was Ooh. sweating and coming from the pregame show, and I had a seat to be in before all the excitement was that's like done. True. This yeah. is actually my fault, Jay. She was at the pregame show that we did at Whiskey Wings and Temple Terrace. Great place to eat, by the way. And she was yep. kind of like busting her tail to get over to the stadium <laughs> through the traffic that night from there. And so that's probably why she sprinted past. Trucking through mud yeah. just to get so, that last firework before they or, started off. Or maybe it was because word on the street is you don't go to Casey's spin classes and get up early enough, Jay. So maybe Ooh, that's why. Right. <laughs> Thank you, sore, sore subject. Saying, maybe that's maybe if you head over to a few of those, you won't blow by you just as quick. But, Damn, that's okay, what it so you're, is. Okay, that's you'd be able to keep up. That's but a, uh, I was there on time. You need to keep up with me, sister. Oh Sledge. man, there's a backstory here I don't even know about. <laughs> but okay, so let's Hold go on. week one, Cowboys Bucks. And there's all this energy in the stadium, obviously. And there's you're trying to like throw off your mind from last year's Super Bowl to focus on this season. They came out. Let's talk offense at first. Were you surprised by any of the things you saw? Everybody knows that turnovers happen. Obviously, four of them happened in this game. That's very unfortunate and very unbuck-like, and some of them were quite random. Um, but what was your kind of takeaway watching this offense? Was it to focus on those negatives, or did you see just a lot of things that you liked? See, and when you go week one, I'm one of those people that I rarely ever judge a team on week one. Just because yeah. you don't know, especially the last two years, you're going from an unprecedented season last year where you had no preseason. And it was like, what is this going to look like? We don't know. I, I have a hard time judging a team until week probably seven or eight. Then you kind of get a gauge of, OK, what's this team all about? And then especially this year, I thought that with only three preseason games, listen, a lot of teams played their starters in week two, sat week three. The Bucks did the opposite, which people mm -hmm. were like, mm, I wonder if. Yep this is going to affect them. And you look at how the offense looked. I'm not surprised. I mean, this offense rushing attack at times, it's going to come and go at times. You're going to be like, wow, they run the ball. So great. You're going to have games where Lenny gets 65 yards in a touchdown and Rojo gets, you know, 58 in a touchdown. That's just how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to have games like you saw the other night and you're like, all right, about that rushing attack. Uh, so, you know, and then people talking about the whole Mike Evans thing, people freaking out. Oh my gosh. It, that's what Mike Evans, that's how Mike Evans has been in this offense. At times, you almost talk about it like in baseball, hitting is contagious. It's like that with Mike Evans. At times, like there's a game where he's just, you know, maybe has two or three catches. But then next week, he goes against a corner that's 5'10", and he can't stop him. They double him. It still doesn't work. And he catches five straight balls, and he finishes seven for 95 and three touchdowns. Yeah. Like, that's Mike Evans. And to me... A good team usually is not a good, I know it's the world we live in, a fantasy team. I mean, how many Patriots? I've played fantasy football since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I don't know if I ever had any Patriot player on my team because it was just like, he's going to spread the ball around. You're not going to be able to double anybody, so just don't take anybody on their team. Unless it's maybe Tom. <laughs> but I think it's the same thing with the Buccaneers. Like You have such an embarrassment of riches. Like, what do you do? Yeah, we've seen Gronk have a you know two tutties, which is great. But he was a blocking tight end last year, and there was games where he had, like, no catches at all. So, right. to me, I like that you're still being able to spread the ball around, and I think if you give a different look to the defenses every single week, it's going to be harder to defend. And you, you mentioned this, too. 
when you look at this offense, there's going to be tape on them from last year. People are going to take certain things away, and it's up to the Buccaneers to be able to adjust, and I think they're going to be able to do that again this year because there's just too much talent not to. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting take. The only reason I somewhat disagree is because for us to finally have preseason games versus having lack of preparation last year, I would have expected a little bit, I don't know, stronger connections being being made. I mean, if it wasn't for Gronk being the healthiest that he's probably been in God knows how long, that was probably our biggest driving force that game, as well as Tom Brady being Tom Brady and Antonio Brown having this odd chemistry that's really starting to, to take off with Tom. But I was expecting a, a little bit more, not riding on the on the Evans thing at all, because like mm-hmm. you said, I think last year it wasn't until like almost week four that Evans really started making some production. But maybe this kind of chimes back into John and I having a conversation about personnel and kind of switching it up. I was kind of voting on the fact that we can throw in a lot more 12 personnel. John was saying that they could really take off with 11 personnel, but I feel like between the Cowboys game and then leading into the Falcons game, they have room to get creative or to try some things and see what can work differently than last year to go against that film that's out there that can have teams really lock in on them. Well, I mean, it's not like they scored 17 points. I mean, they scored 31 points. And if Godwin doesn't fumble going in the end zone, they score 35. And that's with turnovers, you know, whether it's the bounce off Lenny's hand, the interception at the end of the half, which you don't really count, or the fumble. So not many times do you turn the ball over as many times as they did and forget about all the stats, but to be able to score 30 points. So to me, yeah, there's room to go, but you figure if they still scored 31 points and it's not Mm -hmm. like they had a defensive touchdown, man, how many points are they going to score against an Atlanta team this week that were, whoa, they were, Yeah, (laughs) that was a tough putt last week watching that game. My (laughs) eyes were like, hey, you sure you want to watch this? There's got to be rug. There's got to be rugby on somewhere. I know. He's <laughs> got watch a... Giants games, so. <laughs> I know. But Jeez. watching those two games, that had me reassessing my yeah. career goals. That's... <laughs> yeah. You're like, got to stay out of the NFC East. Well, it wasn't the Eagles' fault. You know, I got to watch that game tonight. The Eagles actually. played okay. The Eagles yeah, actually did right. play well. I, yeah. I actually like, you know, when teams adjust their play book to their quarterback, and that's what they mm-hmm. did. You saw a lot of Jalen Hurts, what you saw at Oklahoma when he was really flourishing – um, those short throws, the RPOs, you know, getting people involved like Devontae Smith, two-headed monster at tight end position. Sounds familiar with Ertz and Goddard. I really liked what I saw from Philadelphia. They were not enough people talking about how well that they played against Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I mean, still, you're going on the road. I don't care how good or bad a team is. It's not right. – they, they were in control of that game pretty much mm-hmm. from whistle to whistle. So yeah. I was impressed no. with Philly. Very impressive for sure, and I'm excited. I'll get into that tape tonight and, and have more takes and observations for people on the pregame show on Sunday on that one. But I am curious, going back to the Bucks here, as they come into this next game now in Week 2, there is this running back conversation that's happening again, right? This We we went through it all last year, and I was wondering, how long is it going to take for one of these guys blows it? And we were, and we're having this conversation again between Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Turns out it didn't take long at all for both of them to blow it. So both of them <laughs> blow it on back-to-back plays. I was actually kind of, even though I was afraid it was going to doom the Bucs inside, I was kind of like, you could not have scripted this because they were the two guys all year where I was just like pulling my lead. These guys could single-handedly, well, double-handedly, I guess, just derail the Bucs. As talented as this group was, those guys just seemed to screw it up at every turn. And then here they are, as talented as both are, as much as they both offer, screwed it up again in game one. You have Ronald Jones sitting out the rest of the game, some confidence stuff going on there. Leonard comes back, does make some plays late in the game, played decently down the stretch, nothing great, but 
but decently. And, and now you've got a situation, Bruce Aarons is saying Ronald Jones is going to start in the next game. We know that doesn't really mean anything. He just means he's going to play the same as he would have played in any other game. Uh, what's your take on the running back situation at Tampa Bay? Do you have a guy that's a clear favorite that you like more? Are you willing to pound the table for more of a certain guy? Or do you want to see this thing continue to be a fantasy football nightmare? What's your geo too? How does geo fit into this? Just what's your outlook on the running back situation at Tampa Bay? What should happen moving forward? Giovanni Bernard is that break glass for emergency type of running back. I don't think we'll see many much of Gio. I think we'll see a lot of Gio that we saw in week one. But okay? should we There's, see more of Gio? I, no, I don't think so because I think his importance is going to be down the stretch and in the postseason. You'll see a lot more of Gio in week, you know, if they're battling for a playoff spot down there. To me, Gio is the for the guy for the postseason. Because that's when you're going to face your best defenses. You're going to have all that stuff on tape. And Tom needs that outlet. We saw how many times nobody went into that Super Bowl going, Tom's best receiver is going to be James White. Nobody said that. Mm. I actually went back and watched the pregame show. Nobody was talking about James White. And how big was he? I think that's Mm. the same thing that's going to happen with Gio Bernard. He's going to be bigger down the road. This is Mm. a team that they're looking at this season a lot differently than everybody else. It's not – you set the bar so high by winning the Super Bowl, you can't just make the playoffs anymore. That's You're here to wing rings. I mean, that's why you have Tom. That's why you have Bruce Arians. That sense of urgency sometimes is too much and too big of a deal and too much pressure for other teams. This team thrives on it. That's what you saw last year. I, I don't mind going back and forth. That's the way it's going to be. I mean, you're going to have Fournette some weeks. You're going to have Ronald Jones some weeks. I mean, look, yeah, you would love to have a star tailback like mm-hmm. Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley. Look at how well they played in week one. Yeah, those fantasy owners out there, this guy included, not too happy. So, yeah, I, I have no problem with it. You see how transparent and honest Bruce is. I think mm-hmm. him saying that about Rojo saying he's the starter was kind of a public like, hey, man, come on, we're going to need you. And it's a long-ass season. We talk about playoff Lenny, Lombardi Lenny. Listen, this was a guy that was close to getting cut. Let's not forget that. And, you know, Rojo had the bout with COVID, but he also had, what, a 98-yard touchdown run? We were like, holy smokes, mm-hmm. I know that guy. So Would have had 1,000 yards easy if he hadn't gotten COVID and hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you're going to need everybody, and especially at the running back position, with another regular season game, it's a war of attrition. So I don't really care if there's a lead back because, yeah, okay, Leonard Fournette's the lead back. And then he pulls a hammy and he's out three weeks and they have Rojo anyway. So who cares? You're going to need everybody. And I think with the running back position, splitting it up is only going to maintain and save those guys for the long run. Because, again, these, this team has aspirations of another lengthy postseason run, not just, oh, we're going to play 17 regular season games and that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we don't establish or use the run game that much, though, I don't see a reason to hold off on you know, getting him more established and, and comfortable in his role in this system with these guys. I mean, the last great season Bernard had was like 2015 with the Bengals. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm hoping to see him a lot more in this game, but do you think that we're going to exercise the run game way more versus the Falcons, seeing as how we're not looking at it to be a rollover, but I think maybe when it comes to their offensive you know, their ability to stop the run. They allowed over like 170 something yards with the Eagles. And we have that variety where we can give Rojo the opportunity to go off where Leonard can really kind of speak up to wanting to take over that position or Bernard can show that he could be that reliable guy. I mean, we have to have a reliable running back at some point. Rojo's done well, but it's not always the most consistent. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. And if I'm sure if they could settle on one like elite guy that they would, 
But based on the guys that they have in house, even going to Keyshawn Vaughn, there's not one person that is above the rest. And that's very similar to what you saw with Bill Belichick all those years where it was Burkhead and, and Michelle and all those, even going back to Deion Lewis and Shane Vereen and guys like that. The reason why I don't think Bernard's going to play a ton more is because you look at it, Joe Mixon, there was a reason why they went and got Joe Mixon out of Oklahoma and he became the lead tailback and Gio became the third down back. If Gio was better than Mixon, they wouldn't have drafted him and he, he wouldn't have outplayed him and became that bell cow back for them. So, so quick I, question. I, yeah. Keyshawn Vaughn, the decision that they made to not have him running back wise, did you expect that after last season or did you like appreciate it? Were you like, no, I, go ahead. what did you think about that Keyshawn Vaughn not having a role this year? I think it says a lot about him that he's still on this roster uh, because mm -hmm. especially when you're a guy, the farther down on the depth chart you go, you guys know this, you better be able to play special teams or you mm -hmm. better better be a good teammate or you better be one of those guys that can do well, a little better bit of everything. better be a top 100 pick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I think you look at how this roster is going to look next year, it's going to look much different. I mean, we got to, you know, all the starters came back. It's going to be different next year. And that's when you're going to start looking at some of these draft picks the last couple of years. All right. Now it's your turn. So hopefully Keyshawn Vaughn looking at this. And again, I know he was, you know, a top hundred pick, but you look back and you go, all right, well, you know, those roster spots, especially for a team that has super old aspirations, they're not going to keep a fourth running back uh, yeah. unless, you know, if at the, you know, jeopardizing someone else's spot that could be, you know, a starting cornerback or something mm -hmm. else. Or, But I, I look at this team and I think Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, I, I think they're, you know, listen, they were good enough to win a Super Bowl last year. But it's a onus on them. I thought that they were going to play better this year because especially Ronald Jones, you know what Leonard can give you. I mm -hmm. think he's an underrated pass catcher. It seemed like last year, every time it was a drop, it was like the worst possible time. Or like we saw in week one where it, mm -hmm. the ball doesn't go off his hand and hit the ground. The ball goes off his hand and goes into the other team's hands. It's, <laughs> but Rojo, you look at that and you look at when he came here and all the stuff of all he, what he couldn't do at a USC. I said, man, if he looks at Giovanni Bernard and goes, they, they shouldn't have brought that guy in here. Like, I, I was looking at Rojo like, you got to look at that guy and go, I can catch the ball out of the backfield. I'm going to work on it, and I'm going to make sure that G. Bernard never gets on the field. Unfortunately, it's it, we haven't seen that, but hopefully as the year goes on, we see them improve in, in different areas, and they're all mm -hmm. competent backs to the box, and they don't turn the football over. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to be – that's the most interesting part of this, in my opinion, is what happens in the passing game. If you're committed to Giovanni Bernard playing a small role, you know, being your two-minute back and being your third down back until the, until the playoffs or whenever that point comes if, if where they feel like they need more from him and he's the only guy that could give it to them in the backfield, what happens with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette? Because you have a guy in Ronald Jones that they clearly do not trust in the passing game, and understandably so. We have not seen enough in games from him, especially last year when you look at that, that to, to know – that he's trustworthy. He doesn't look trustworthy. And then the other part of this is Leonard Fournette, somehow one of the most amazing statistics of last season, leading all players in the NFL in drop percentage and percentage of targets <laughs> dropped. So you are talking about, even though Leonard might know what he's doing a little bit better on passing downs, you are still talking about one of the worst, like in terms of just reliability with his hands running backs out there, even though there obviously is the other end, there's the ability to make catches against Micah Parsons, like he made and just to bail them out in this in week one. So there are layers to that conversation. Yeah. It's just a very unique. He's just a weird player when it comes to the passing game. I will say one encouraging thing about Leonard Fournette, and then we can jump onto the wide receiver conversation here. 
Fournette pass protected very well in week one. It was only a couple reps, but mm. since he's been a chronically bad pass protector throughout his career, and so is Ronald Jones, that was one encouraging sign from Leonard Fournette that I had not pointed out in the show that I wanted to mention. All right, I think we're real, at that real, time. Oh, go ahead. Go real ahead, go quick, ahead, yeah. I just wanted to say with Fournette, uh, you know, he had 80-something catches that one year for Jacksonville, which is kind of crazy you would think a guy dropped. And, Casey, I, I don't think I answered your question about do are they going to run the ball more this week. I think they will. Uh, because I think they're going to be ahead. So you're going to be pounding the rock in the third and the fourth quarter. So that's when you see Rojo and Leonard Fournette start getting more and more reps. And even down the stretch, even though I say Gio Bernard is going to play more down the stretch and play more in the postseason, I don't know if it's going to be early downs early on in the game. I still think mm-hmm. they're going to try to establish the run with Rojo, with Fournette, have a nice, healthy one-two back and forth. And then third down late in the game when you know you're going to be throwing the ball more, that's when you'll see more Gio Bernard. Mm-hmm. Had to get that in there for you, KH. <laughs> Thank you. That makes sense to me. All right, we're gonna before we get to your wide receiver choice, you're yeah. the best wide receiver on the box, in the opinion of WDAE's Jay Retcher. First, we are going to talk about our friends over at Spotify Green Room because this is the social audio app that can change the way we talk about sports, music, culture, all kinds of things. But for our intents and purposes, sports mainly. Our JC Allen is going to be on the Peter Report channel on Spotify Green Room, talking fantasy football with y'all, talking bucks with y'all this season. He's excited about it. He loves it. And he loves when you all jump in there and tune in for these conversations as well. So make sure you download the Spotify Green Room app on the App Store and on Google Play. Follow Pewter Report, and we will send you the invites when we go live so you can jump into those conversations, listen to JC, listen to me a little bit, give your two cents, give your opinions on some topics, and uh, have some fun with Spotify Green Room. So make sure you download that app on the Google Store, get it on Google Play, get Spotify Green Room, and jump in for those fun sports conversations. All right, Jay, there are a bunch of great wide receivers on the box. Well, I'm going to give you actually a few more seconds. I'm going to go to Casey, and then when Casey's done, All right. you could just take it Ladies away. Ladies first. Yes, Casey, They have the people have not heard your opinion on this matter. They have heard my opinion on this matter as to who the best, best Bucks receiver was. I made the argument for Chris Godwin. I did throw on the cowardly caveat that if Antonio Brown is vintage Antonio Brown still, and that hasn't changed, which it's just been two years, so it's hard to know whether that's what we're getting or not. Certainly looks like so far that's what we're getting. Then he is the best wide receiver. But I've gone Chris Godwin over Mike Evans in this conversation. Zach Bobner was on with me a few weeks ago, and he went with Mike Evans quite passionately, and you've probably seen us spar on Twitter about it at times. Casey, what's your choice here? You, I know you have an underdog you want to shout out. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always for the underdog. You guys will eventually see that I, I can, I can pick a good argument with the underdog. So, assuming that I get a caveat too, like I, mm-hmm. I, there's going to be big things in store for Scotty Miller. If, if nothing else, people have seen that not only has he been a clutch wide receiver, but down the stretch, I mean, to make the plays that he has made for us is, you know, huge. So. Low key, there's like a big Scotty Miller for the Bucks kind of thing. But when it really comes down to looking at how the season might pan out and that chemistry that I was talking about, there's a bromance really brewing between Brady and AB. I think that when it comes to wide receivers this season, it's going to be Antonio Brown. Okay. All right. Jay, what do you think? Who are you taking? Say what I mean, we think you're going to say. Who do you, what do you think I'm going to say? Tough guy? You'll see Me? it on my face when you say it. Wait, what do you think he's going to say? Because you guess yeah, first, Casey. What do you think? Yeah, okay. He's going to make an outstanding argument for Mike Evans. <laughs> I think you're going to no. go Evans, too. Or no, Godwin. You get, no, you guys are both wrong. The Damn. best receiver on this team 
without a doubt is Antonio Brown. Let's not okay. get it twisted. You guys, I mean, I get I'm sure. it. I mean, I eat crow. I eat listen, crow. It's fine. Listen, Mike Evans is a great receiver. He's going to mm. be in Canton one day, and you guys know I, I, I like the human being more than I like the football player, mm-hmm. and I think he's a hell of a football player. Chris Godwin, I love the way that he blocks. I love that he's got that Heinz Ward type to his game. He does a little bit of everything. But two years ago, we talked about how great his hands were. We're starting to see a little bit more drops from Chris Godwin. We saw it a little bit last year. We saw it the other night as well. Antonio Brown, after not playing football for how long and missed the first eight games, was probably the most reliable receiver that Tom Brady had down the stretch. And we're talking about a guy – if he's healthy, and he is, he was one of the best three receivers in football for a long time. This is a guy that can run the entire route tree, and this is a guy still at, at times, Michael, Mike Clayton, when we always have him on, he talks about the wiggle, where you wiggle at. He still has elite skills at the line of scrimmage where guys try to get their hands on him, and they can't touch him. He's reliable catching the football. You see how they're incorporating him into the run game. They'll run some jet sweeps with him. I love that. I just think when you have Antonio Brown in the team, I said this on the show a couple weeks ago, I think this year Antonio Brown's a pro bowler from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here's another thing with that. He doesn't take outside of the one big hit from, what was it, Vontaze Burfitt. He does a good job of avoiding that big contact. He reminds me of, of how Russell Wilson does it. You never really see Russell. Josh Allen took a ton of big hits against Pittsburgh, and it's like, yeah. Why are you running him up the middle? That's an MVP candidate. What are you, nuts? But you mm-hmm. see Russell Wilson, when he escapes the pocket, he goes outside, he stretches that ball out. He doesn't take a big hit. Godwin takes a lot of big hits. So does Mike Evans. And every single year, they pick up those little knocks, those little injuries that knock him out for a game or two games or three games. Or it was Evans when he came up lame a couple years ago. Godwin when he messed up his finger. A.B. is just one of those guys. He's got that veteran guile, and even though he's 33 years old, he doesn't have as much tread worn off the tire because, listen, he you know his off-the-field stuff kept him off the field. Mm-hmm. And Casey, you alluded to it perfectly. That There's a relationship there with Tom Brady, and I was mm-hmm. very staunch against, Tom, against Antonio Brown coming in because I said if this is an organization that believes so much in, in – promoting women and promoting women within the game and all the work that they do with Billie Jean King and things like that to bring somebody in like Antonio Brown with baggage like that. Mm-hmm. I had my reservations. However, okay. with a guy like Bruce Arians, knowing that he's not just going to be like, yeah, yeah, Cora, whatever. He was going to vet that process out and go, if he's going to be here, he's going to play by our rules and he's going to do things the right way. You don't have a guy like that come back with all the stuff that's happening regardless of the talent if the owners, the general manager, the head coach, and the quarterback, the quarterback with the gravitas of Tom Brady, all are on the same page. And I look at what Antonio Brown's done on this team. I still think there is a, a larger kind of leap that you can see for him in this offense. And we talk and kind of joking about fantasy football. I didn't keep Chris Godwin on my team this year and drafted Antonio Brown because I feel like he's going to stay healthy for 17 games. And there's so many different ways for them to get him the ball. And he's just so hard to guard. So that's why, to me, even at 33 years young, I think A.B. is the best receiver on this team. I think aside from Tom seeming to have this, again, a brewing connection with him, but almost more of a protective manner. Maybe it is because of some of the off, you know, things he really wants to put him on this platform to perform and and kind of reinvent himself. But I also look about, look 
at a lot of Tom's go-tos in the Patriot system. You know, I know people don't want us to count out Mike Evans and it, and it doesn't go against or discount Mike Evans skills. You're a six, five guy who knows how to move and, and box out, you know, the best corners and safeties in the league and make those plays happen. But on almost every play he's being double teamed. So eventually that's going to count against him to where Tom is going to have to make those other decisions. We already saw that, you know, him and Gronk have re <laughs> refueled that fire. But I think AB gives him that next layer of familiarity on top of the fact that he wants to put him in a way better light. And week one was just the beginning of it. That's a great do you guys, point. And do you know that Antonio Brown's the second oldest wide receiver in the NFL that played in week one, at least right now? Seriously. Only, only Emmanuel Sanders is older. Manny, and they were both teammates in Pittsburgh. Right. That's true. And Casey, you bring up a great point too about that is when you're a winner and when you're a leader and you're a father and a husband like Tom Brady, like you're not going to bring Antonio Brown into your house with your wife and kids unless you have full belief that he's going to be on the straight and narrow and be a good soldier. And I feel like when you're a winner and you know, we all have people in our past, friends, family, relationships, where you come across somebody and you know, like they're not achieving their potential, something they're dependent on, something that's knocking them off their path, whether it's their relationship, their career, whatever. And you see that friend and you're like, damn, bro, you, you're the man. Are you? Don't do that. Stay with me. Stay on this side. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. I've had friends in the past that I grew up with that, you know, they've had drug and alcohol dependency. And I was just like, you don't need that, man. Gang life. I mean, kids like grew up in, in gangs. And I was like, you're better than that, man. You're a hell of an athlete. Like, don't worry about that kind of stuff. Be, be, a, be a father. Be a, be a husband. And you feel like as a friend or as a cousin or as a brother, like, I can help them. And Tom's got that. Tom's got that. I'm going to put my, you saw it more in New England. And then that's why it wasn't so surprising. I wasn't surprised that Tom wanted him here because I'm sure he was the guy that was pounding the table for him in New England. When you're a leader like that, you want to put your arm around your buddy going, I want you to reach your potential. I want you to live the life that I have. And that's way beyond football. I mean, Antonio Brown, you hear it. He speaks so glowingly about Tom Brady. Is it ever about him as the quarterback? No, mm -hmm. it's about him as the man and as the friend. And to me, like that's, what has grown on me and that's kind of the what's spoken volumes about tom brady's character that he's been able to go out on a limb and say i'm gonna vouch for ab and we're gonna do this thing together and listen we haven't heard anything off the field with Johnny's antonio an brown that's huge. to tell us why he has so much faith in godwin because like now it's like ab ab so we have to That's right. we gotta get a little bit more depth of, of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're going to have like a little bit of a, a graphic here. I'm going to add, I'm going to add Love it. Okay, JR to He gets a graphic to back up his point and we just yeah. get to say. No, I've got a, no, no, not for my point, for the tally of who okay. is voting for who for best box wide receiver. Just so mm -hmm. people know right now, we've got three votes for Mike Evans, Scott Reynolds, Zach Blobner, and Matt Matera, all voting Mike Evans, Casey Hudson, Jay Retcher, Josh, JC Allen, and Paul Atwell are all voting Antonio Brown. And your boy here is holding it down for Chris Godwin. <laughs> I'll say this, like, obviously you guys, you know, I picked Chris Godwin before the year started, before preseason started even. And so, you know, it was still like, we didn't really know quite what he was going to look like. And I said, even at the time on the show, you know, if Antonio Brown's Antonio Brown and we'll, we'll see, you know, there's a long way to go. And I, but he looked, I mean, he's looked great. He's looked unbelievable in camp and, you know, preseason and obviously now in the, in the regular season. So I have, don't have a lot of doubts there. Um, but, Chris Godwin, to me, just because there are no real weaknesses. And the big 
the big uh, point that I kept coming back to is everybody thinks Mike Evans is a great contested catch receiver. And Mike Evans is a good contested catch receiver. But Chris Godwin is legitimately, there is, he is on the short list for the top three best contested catch receivers in the NFL. If you look at the numbers, if you look at the tape, doesn't matter. His contested catch percentage is up there with that, with or above the best in the NFL. He's at the top, been at the top in the best in the NFL. Yes, there needs to be more 16-game seasons from him if we're talking career-wise. Obviously, Mike Evans is better than Chris Godwin in that conversation, and Antonio Brown's better than both of them. I don't think many people leave that up for debate necessarily. But right now, in terms of what I believe that they are, the fact that Chris Godwin makes contested catches the way that he does, gets open at the degree that he does, and the other thing he's much better at than Evans, at least, is is being able to make plays with the ball in his hands. To me, that's a very valuable part of playing wide receivers, being able to create yardage once you get the ball. I will give Evans this. He is crafty and fights hard, but he's not elusive and he's not a tackle breaker. And, and Godwin is both of those things. I mean, we have 55 yards after the catch the other day. And what was a down game for him, he's getting 55 yards after the catch and he's forcing four missed tackles in one game. Outstanding, outstanding numbers for him. So that is the kind of stuff to me, like he just does all of these little things. And oh, by the way, how many guys can play in the slot, run every single route in the tree, block the way that he does, and then win vertically several times a game? Like that is just, he is just a very unique player because he can truly play any position and do anything that you ask him to. And there's no real weakness, no part of his game that really drops off. And other than the Washington game in this past game, <laughs> he's a pretty reliable pass catcher as well, too, in terms of drops. I think he had in his first 58 career games, he had six drops. Obviously a little bit of an issue lately, but I think it's going to pass for him. So just, I mean, there's no wrong answer in this. We all know that. There's no wrong answer in it. That's the, that's the fun of it. That's why it's fun to ask because it doesn't matter and there's no wrong answer in it. But it's great to hear different people's opinions and arguments. I think it's been fun throughout this process. All right, Jay, before we get you out of here, let me ask you about this upcoming game. Obviously, Atlanta coming off a loss that we've alluded to and talked about a little bit. Uh, they're 0-1, looking to avoid going 0-2 for the for the second straight season. What's your take on Atlanta? You know, Is this just a bad football team? Is this going to be a team that finishes at the bottom of the NFL? They just are not figuring it out yet. New head coach, just a long way to go in terms of that stuff. Obviously, the talent is not what it used to be, but there's still tons of weapons here. Or is this a team that's going to come back fighting after that week one performance? They've got Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage has been great against Tampa Bay. And Cal Pitts is here. And, hey, Nurse is your number two tight end. That's not bad. And you've got a scheme certainly running the football that that works, uh, even if you know worked early in the game against Philadelphia. There's still some things to like here about this offense, but it just didn't look like any of it was being used that great in week one. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I got Saquon Barkley and Mike Davis as my two running backs, so I'm loving fantasy football for week two, <laughs> I'll tell you that. You know, and they're getting Corderell Patterson doing his kind of thing. With, you know, they're lining him up at running back, which is kind of unique. I, I think it was a big mistake to draft Kyle Pitts in the first round for a team that knew that they were going to be in the same division as New Orleans and Tampa Bay. So they were clearly going to be at the very best, the third best team in the division. And you already had a pretty darn good tight end in Hayden Hurst. You have other pass catchers, even though Julio goes to Tennessee, you still have Gage, you still have Calvin Ridley, who's, you know, a damn good uh, wide receiver out of Alabama as well. I just thought it was weird. Like, mm -hmm. Okay, I know you. last year they lined up with 11 first-round picks on the offensive side of the ball, and what did that get them? It didn't get them much. Uh, so there, still, I think the strength of a team, you have to build from the inside out. I would have loved to see them put more of an emphasis on the defensive side of the ball because you have to stop a New Orleans offense, whether you think Jameis is good or not. You know for the most part, I know he's not playing now, but Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara on the Saints alone. 
And then the Bucks, you have all of those guys that you have to handle, you know, and deal with two times a year. And to go with the tight end, I just thought it was kind of, all right, you're, you're making that pick, but could you have gotten somebody else to, you know, could they have gotten a Rashawn Slater that out of Northwestern? Maybe you trade back and you take him. I mean, the guy was unbelievable for the Chargers. That's why I'm what that's my team to watch this year is the Chargers. I, I think Herbert takes that next step. You go out and you get Lindsley from Green Bay. You draft for Sean Slater. And I said, that is a team that knows what they're doing. They're building from the inside out and they're going to be very, very good. And I think they're going to scare Kansas City this year in the AFC West. And then when you draft a tight end, I know it's generational talent, but you know, I watched the Giants draft Saquon Barkley and it's like, hey, he looks great. His quads are awesome. He takes unbelievable Instagram pictures. He seems like a swell dude. They still can't block anybody. And mm. they're trading guys and trading for guys. And it's just like, you know, do we know how good Daniel Jones is? We don't know. You know, because you're not giving him proper time. You're not giving giving him proper protection. So I just, I think a lot of judging a team is how they build their team. Mm. And you saw it, Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, Alex Kappa, like, the Buccaneers put draft picks, draft capital mm-hmm. in the offensive line. You draft Vita Vea. You know, you go out and you trade for JPP. You get Shaq Barrett. They built the trenches. You have to win those games in the trenches. I think Atlanta's in trouble, man. Yeah, you got a bunch of skill guys, but if Matt Ryan, who has never been the fleetest of foot, is lying on his back looking up at the sky like, wow, that's a really mm-hmm. nice Superdome. I hope Chick-fil-A's open. I mean, they're, they're going to be in big trouble this year. I agree with that. I didn't know if you had a Chick-fil-A follow-up there, Casey. Yeah, I, I thought she was going to be like, what are you no, ordering? I'm just thinking about Chick-fil-A. I'm like, maybe they leave it open for the Falcons. It's too right. nice. Um, no, actually, my follow-up's just more to, more to the fact of, like, we kind of are, me personally, I'll take the heat on this one. I somewhat underestimated certain things when it came to the Cowboys because, yeah, we should be taking off on a lot of teams, but our defense didn't exactly have the greatest performance, in my opinion. You know, they – if anything, I thought they should have been a hell of a lot sharper. So when it comes down to it, um, you know, everyone's saying that we should take off on the Falcons this Sunday, but how do you think our defense is going to kind of pull together, correct the mistakes that they made previously and, you know, kind of redeem themselves from their, from their week one performance. Yeah. Especially with Sean Murphy bunting out. What's Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what you think about that. We have a lot of step ups now. Oh no, for sure. And we saw what Jamel Dean years ago when he was, you know, burnt, like toast in Seattle, how he was able to kind of bounce back and, you know, take a deep breath and get back in there because poor guy, I mean, deer in a headlights. Look, you feel cornerback is such a crazy position in the NFL. You don't realize how tough it is until you watch some of these guys get, you know, churned out over and over and over and guys get picked on. Like it's, it's a tough putt, but that's a great point, Casey. Cause you think about it going into that game against Dallas, Dak, not playing in the preseason, coming off injury. How good is he going to be? Well, he showed you how good he was going to be. And listen, he got once he got sacked one time by Shaq Barrett, and that was rolling out to his left. Probably should have got rid of the football. So on that play, yeah, I mean it was a sack, but it probably should have been a sack. And I'm with you. I and I wonder this, and I asked Warren Sapp this today when we had him on the show. Do you think at times because I, I have a, half my friends are Jets fans. And they kind of got sick of Todd Bowles over, over the years. You know, it wasn't all rosy how it was here. And I think sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, Vita Vea is on the outside. So is Ndamukong Sue. And then it's just like, all right, well, you had one sack. Like, get him in the middle. So I can see it from both sides. But I agree with you, Casey. That defense needs to play much better than it did against Dallas. 
And I think they'll look at that with the veterans that they do have and go, that's not us. We got to improve. We got to get back to pressure in the quarterback. Matt Ryan, again, it's not as you know, fleet as foot, fleet of foot as we saw with Dak Prescott. And they didn't even run the ball that well either. So they're, you know, they were pretty one-dimensional and they did a good job of of kind of holding and with backups on the offensive line. I, it's kind of amazing what Dallas was able to do in that first game, and they still lost. So does that say more about Dallas or, or more about Tampa yeah. Bay? Uh, but I think the pass rush for the Bucks are going to be better just for the fact of, like, hey, we got to be better than this. We are better than this. I, I expect a much different performance in week two against the Birds. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting, too. Does Matt Ryan throw the ball as quickly as Dak Prescott was? I mean, Prescott's time to throw was third fastest out of any quarterback in week one. So you were talking about a guy that was just – Somehow Brady was faster, by the way. Even though Brady went downfield <laughs> way more, he's still just incredible, magical. Man. I don't know how, but uh, but Prescott, yeah, had so many quick throws. And Atlanta was quick, kind of, you know, again, it was a lot of short passes, but I think it wasn't as the process wasn't as quick, certainly getting the ball out as it was for Dallas. It wasn't necessarily part of the game plan as much as it was taking what was available. So, yeah, it is that's part of the ball, you know, especially how well that defense does. They do have talent. How do they match up? Kyle Pitts in the slot without Sean Murphy bunting. Yeah. It, it, I don't think it's like, it doesn't necessarily scare me. It's just like, how do they match up? That's the thing I want to see. Like, what's even yeah. the game plan and the strategy for them? Because I don't think it's Ross Cockrell on Cal Pitts. Like, I just, <laughs> I think that they just will like kind of rule that out. So, what happens? You know, does do you play with three safeties more often? I would love to see that. I, I think I just so. don't know. I'm, I'm I fascinated think, to see it. I, I think you do. Yeah, I think you do like, because you're going to see Jordan Whitehead come back. You turn them a little bit more. You know, I, I just want. At times, I think you get too caught up in a who's a corner, who's a – just put your best football players on the field. And I think that's what the Bucs do. You saw Joe try and Shoenke, you know, with a little bit of some different stuff. You're like, wow, I didn't know he was going to drop back as much. But, yeah, even, John, before you even came here, one of the biggest bugaboos to the Buccaneers' defense is guarding the other team's tight end. Yeah. So there is still that kind of part of, you know, following the Buccaneers going, well, yeah, he didn't look all great last week. But, you know, we've seen Greg Olsen – be wide ass open sometimes you're like come on bro so let's hope that right. Kyle Pitts struggles week two and then he blows up you know and the games they're not playing the box yeah Ridley's hey. no lamb but I just worry because we allowed you know 403 yards and whatnot we, we've yeah. done so well with containing the run game but obviously look at our interior and and so on and so forth so it's just one of those things where they're gonna have to really come out dominating or controlling that first quarter and maintaining that all the way through like not getting that post halftime sleeper Maybe if we're not pay, playing at eight o'clock um, on Sunday, it won't happen. But I don't want us to underestimate anyone in our secondary has to play like three times harder than they did. On yeah, well, it's interesting. I'm sure, you know, Calvin Ridley last three games against the Bucs, 300 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So he's had a ton of success against yeah. Tampa Bay. But I don't know whether it's going to happen this time or not because the scheme is a lot different. Hey, got to shout out our friends over at Pin Chasers, man. They're doing some awesome things, and they're bringing the Pewter Report Bowling League back. We are so excited about that. Pin Chasers is a family-owned business that has been around for 60 years, and on top of that, they're huge Bucks fans. It's a family-friendly place that is a great spot for your whole group to enjoy a fun afternoon or evening. They have events going on each week, including Tuesday night pizza bowl, all-you-can-eat pizza for $11.99 after 9 p.m., I mean, it might be cheating a little. It might be breaking some rules, but look at that pizza. It looks worth it to me. And Thursday night, unlimited bowling after 9 p.m., including $1 Miller Lights. Wow. If you're hungry while you're there, the 10-pin grill has some great food, and that includes burgers, sandwiches, fries, quesadillas. And they also have breakfast foods 
that you can have at any time of the day. I love that. I'm all about Whoa. that. Three locations in East Pasco and Hillsborough Avenue and right down the road from the Bucks facility and on North Armenia Avenue as well. To reserve a lane or book a party, head over to pinchasers.net. And the Pewter Report Bowling League is starting again on Monday, October Uh-oh. 11th. So make sure you sign up. You can find the Google Doc sheet on our Twitter account. Head on over there. Sign up for the Pewter Report Bowling League. Get yourself in there and get your information in there so we can contact you when that thing starts up on Monday, October 11th. Excited to be bringing that back after COVID took it away for a while and excited to see you all as participants in the pewterreport.com uh, bowling league. Former right, champion. Former champion of the oh. Peter Report Bowling League. Thank you very much. That was not said to me. That was not told to me. I was not I I should have known this information coming into the show. That's bad <laughs> preparation on my fault. I'm sorry about it. like so tell us what, what happened. How did this go down? Who did you beat? How Who what didn't is, play what against me? That's I was gonna say, is this that you didn't play against Casey then, I guess. Breaking news Casey <laughs> Hudson torn rotator cuff for patting herself on the, her own back. Holy smokes. She's Whoa, on IR. Gonna be out <laughs> She's going to be out four to 12 weeks like Sean yeah. Murphy. Yeah. What a Could crazy Could be the time. season. We don't know. No, it was, it was a couple years ago, and I think it was me, uh, my boss, John Mamola, uh, Ben Judd, and Toby that don't work with us anymore, and I think mm-hmm. we just got like progressively better as the year went on. And they were like, yeah, you guys won because they grade it on the handicap. They don't Mm -hmm. grade it just because there's people in there that they got their Mm -hmm. ball. They got the glove. They got the shirt, the shoes, the swag. And I'm just (laughs) like, yeah, I'm here. I'm just wearing an old lightning T-shirt. Can we pull these bumpers up? (laughs) Yeah, right. And we want I want a uh, bowling ball. I still have it. It's in my office. I use it in case a burglar wants to come in and then, you know, (laughs) throw in the skills. Not to practice. I love it. All right, are you gonna give us your prediction here before we let you go and wrap this thing up? What's your prediction for Sunday's game? Oh man, what did I say? 31-13 last week. I'm gonna go 41-14 this week. Whoa. Oh, a big blowout victory. I think you see a heavy dose of the run and no turnovers and uh, an offense that Casey Hudson would really love. So 41 points for the Buccaneers, 41-14. Wow. All for me. Beautiful. Love the All for you. Hey, Thanks so much for joining us, man. This was a ton of fun. It's great to get your insight and perspective on all these things. You know we'll do it again sometime soon for sure. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys for having me and uh, look forward to seeing you guys. Well, John, Sunday. Uh, Casey, I look forward to seeing you ski by me in the press box and acting <laughs> like you don't know who I am. At least you know what to expect. That's yeah, true. That's, that's right. Prepare, <laughs> pre- here, prepare to be here, let down. Here's my expectations of Casey and my friendship. <laughs> Thanks for having Later. me, guys. Yeah, for sure. Great stuff. Glad to be on with Jay. This was a ton of fun. Got to get his perspective on a lot of things, Bucks, which is always enjoyable. The Pewter Report podcast will be back. We'll be back for Sunday game, Sunday's game. We'll be back for the pregame at 3 p.m. Make sure you tune in for that. Pewter game day is going strong all throughout the day. Pre-game, we've got a ton of we've got a guest lined up. We've got a ton of insight from all the Pewter reporters. Will be on there, giving you insight and giving you a little bit of analysis going up to the game. And then we'll take you right through uh, the live stream during the game. Paul Atwal and myself will be live breaking it all down. We're actually watching tape tonight, and we're and we're FaceTiming while we're watching tape tonight because we're nerding out watching the tape and preparing for this broadcast. So it's going to be even better than week one was, if you can imagine that. We're going to be breaking everything down on the live stream during the game, and then about. 45 minutes after the game ends, we'll be going live on the Pewter Report podcast, the post-game podcast, breaking everything down, Hoping, hopefully having a little victory party if the Bucks take care of business. So excited for all that. For Jay Retcher and Casey Hudson, I'm John Ledyard. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out! <laughs>